Welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. I'm your host, Ken Gagney, and this week's episode of Polygamer. Men, yes, we are dealing with more body image issues as a result, but we're not dealing with the same levels of violence and minimization that women deal with. That's Dwayne DeFore, activist and advocate who appeared on my PAX East panel on fixing gender inequality in gaming. I recently interviewed him for about an hour on the issues of not just feminism, but gender equality and masculinity, how video games affect men, and how men can affect the general gaming culture and make it more inclusive for everybody. But first, some updates about equality and diversity in the gaming space. Gamergate continues to make headlines, but now it's not because of their attacks, it's because of the responses to the attacks. People like Brianna Wu are refusing to be victimized and instead are standing up to the bullies with a couple of different tactics. One is that she has established a legal defense fund for women who are being threatened and harassed. Details about that are on her Tumblr, and links are in the show notes of this episode. And also, she is offering a reward for anybody who can produce information leading to the arrest of anyone who has issued her death threats. On one hand, I'm sorry to see that it's come to this. My naive belief is that the long-term solution to this situation is for a change in understanding in who we are as a people and as a culture, and how we can respect each other and treat each other as individuals. Apparently, that not being the case, we are instead approaching a more punitive solution. However, I don't fault Brianna for taking this approach because I know it's not been her only approach. I've also seen her offer olive branches in trying to establish communication and understanding. When that fell through, it would only be logical for her to then take the step of trying to speak a language that will be understood by the people attacking her. So kudos to her for doing something and for standing up not just for her, but for all of us. Brianna has spoken several times on the Less Than or Equal podcast, which I consider an unofficial counterpart to Polygamer, or maybe it's the other way around, since they actually launched first. Most recently, I was given the honor of having my turn at the microphone, and I was the guest on the Less Than or Equal podcast. Episode number 14 aired this past Monday and is available on their website. A link again is in the show notes. And we spoke for an hour about just about everything that I'm trying to do with Polygamer, my history in gaming and as a member of the press, and my YouTube channel, where I do my Let's Plays and unboxings. So if you're interested in knowing some of the backstory of this podcast, or you're interested in hearing about the many other fascinating and cool things that people are doing in geek culture, highlighted each week on the Less Center Equal podcast, definitely go check it out. You can also hear me discussing issues of equality and diversity in two other podcasts that I host. The Indie Cider podcast looks at indie video games and the game development process. And most recently, I looked at Spirits of Spring, an iOS game from the creators of Papo and Yo. Just as Papo and Yo is a metaphor for growing up with an alcoholic abusive father, Spirits of Spring looks at bullying. The discussion I had with one of its developers was more about bullying than it was the actual gameplay. So if you haven't even played the game, you can still appreciate this interview, especially if you've ever been bullied, which... In my experience, many gamers have experienced, unfortunately. Another podcast is called The Pubcast, found at thepubcast.org, and it is a podcast about online publishing. Each episode is an interview with anything from an ebook author to a website designer to a database developer, any aspect of online publishing. It's a pretty wide net that we cast on that show. The most recent episode featured the webcomic Strong Female Protagonist, drawn by Molly Ostertag and written by Bredden Lee Mulligan. After the webcomic launched in 2012, they had a successful Kickstarter in the summer of 2014 to turn their webcomic into a trade paperback, which has recently received a distribution deal from Top Shelf. This webcomic features 19-year-old Allison Green, who decides to give up her superhero lifestyle and go to college, because she wants to make more of a difference in the world than just punching people in the face. Along the way, she encounters and addresses a number of very difficult and socially relevant issues, including date rape. In this episode of the Pubcast, I talk with the creators about how and why they address these issues, and why they consider themselves social justice warriors. In fact, let me play you a brief clip from that interview. Would you say that Molly, Brennan, and Allison are social justice warriors, which has somehow become a pejorative among some groups? Oh, hell, hell yeah. yeah. How the hell did, was that? What what <laughs> genius was like social justice warrior? There's a real slur. Yeah, I like Any... to think myself as a jo- social justice bard. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm a social justice wizard, but I do have two levels in social justice rogue. So okay. I'm sort of like a yeah. social justice arcane trickster. 
Check out that interview at thepubcast.org. The only other thing that's been on my mind lately is the movie Dear White People, which I saw recently. I honestly don't know if I have the background to fully appreciate the film and say whether it's satire or just racist. I will say that there were at least two laugh-out-loud moments that had me chuckling far longer than anybody else in the audience. I encourage you to go check it out and make a decision for yourself. However, the fact at the end of the film that some of the scenes portrayed in this movie are actually based on real-life events was, frankly, disturbing and terrifying. It reminds me of the documentary CSA, The Confederate States of America, actually more of a mockumentary based on a proposed history of our country stipulating from the South winning the Civil War. It's not until the end of that film that you see some of the real-life products and commercials that this film is satirizing, and you realize, oh my god, we are closer to this reality than I realized. That's a little terrifying. But with that said, let's bring on Mr. Dwayne DeFore for this week's episode. I'm a fan of his blog, HowManly.com, and I'm also one of his co-workers at his day job. He is qualified to speak about any number of matters, and I'm sure you'll be hearing from him on other podcasts as well. But today we're here to talk about masculinity, which is not to be confused with men's rights, which is very often antipodal to feminism. Dwayne and I are both very much feminists, and we are here to discuss issues of gender equality and inequality, but from a perspective that I think is sometimes overlooked. This episode does come with a trigger warning for discussion of rape. It also features some of the language that has been used to speak to women in various online media in the past few months. And therefore, it also has an explicit tag in iTunes. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Polygamer. As always, you're welcome to send feedback to feedback at polygamer.net. Also on the website polygamer.net, you can send audio feedback to the show, which we can play in a future episode if you like. Or follow us on Twitter at GameBits, that's me, or Dwayne at Trinid T-R-I-N-I-D-4. Joining me today is Mr. Dwayne DeFore, an educator, media critic, and activist, a program manager at MIT in the Violence Prevention and Response, and a consultant with Dwayne DeFore Consulting. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Great, great. So you and I spoke together on a panel at PAX East 2014 called Fixing Gender Inequality in Gaming. And I confess that I didn't really do my homework before I asked you onto that panel, and I really lucked out at what a juggernaut you are in this industry. (laughs) You have a BS in women's studies, an MA in marketing communications, and you have consulted with such organizations as the Air Force Sexual Assault Response Coordinators, the Mentors in Violence Prevention, the National Consortium for Academic and Sports, Futures Without Violence, and Planned Parenthood League of Massachusetts. You are just everywhere. You're also on the board of the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center, as well as a former big brother in the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. Yeah, yeah. And that is just scratching the surface of all that you have accomplished in this field. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, You know, there's a lot of work to be done, and a lot of organizations doing good work, so I'm happy to be affiliated with them when I can. Now, how would you summarize what it is that you do or the field that you work in? What is your specialty? Well, I specialize particularly in looking at uh, sexual assault, dating violence, harassment, those kinds of issues, um, and doing prevention education around that kind of stuff. I guess you could also say I specialize in working with men around those issues. A lot of the organizations that, that you mentioned, you know, the military, also professional sports teams, uh, colleges and universities will often bring me in to, you know, work with male groups, uh, you know, so, sort of talking with men in particular about these issues because it's a topic that men often don't talk about, um, certainly often less so than women do. But, you know, I work with all all groups, but it's really sort of those topics and, and just sort of that prevention piece, getting people to think about what can we do to stop this stuff from happening. You know, and then sort of offshooting from that, partly out of personal interest, but also because of that connection, I start looking at culture and how this stuff is uh, fed through cultural norms and expectations and sort of gendered expectations, like uh, masculinity expectations in particular. And, you know, again, how all that contributes to these types of things happening. Now, this is probably a big question, but why is it that men don't often talk about these topics? You know, I think for a number of reasons. I think, one, typically, you know, men, we don't necessarily, male friendships, uh, we don't necessarily uh, get as deep with certain topics as uh, women often do. 
Um, obviously, that's a, a big sort of generalization. Uh, everybody's very, everybody's unique. All, everybody's friendships are unique. But sort of, you know, just looking at across the cultural spectrum in general, men talk about these things a little bit less. But then also women, you know, the, the high rates of assault that occur, more women know about other women, their female friends who have dealt with these issues. And so it sort of becomes something, and not only that, but women are, are raised to, you know, constantly be aware of the potential of rape and, you know, taught all this stuff about how to keep themselves safe and all these kinds of things. So it's, it's more of a, a present thing in women's lives than in men's lives, which, you know, really shouldn't be the issue. Uh, certainly, sexual assault rape happens and harassment happens statistically more to women, but it does happen a fair amount to men as well. And that's part of why it's important for us to talk about it. Um, one, you know, because of the the women in our lives that we care about, but also because um, this is happening to men and we're just not talking about it. And there's a whole set of cultural reasons why we're afraid to uh, admit that this happens to men as well. And that's one of the reasons I'm eager to speak with you today is because there have been a lot of talk about uh, women in gaming, both within the industry and within the media. And a lot of panels that I attend or listen to on these topics predominantly feature women on the panels. And I'm interested to get not only the male perspective, but also some discussion about men in gaming uh, and how that contributes to the overall discussion about feminism and gender equality. So you write a blog called How Manly that examines what it means to be masculine, but from pop culture, my own family, etc., I think I have a pretty good idea of what it means to be a man. You know, it involves football and power tools and muscle cars. So what what is wrong with that image, if anything? Well, so it's not so much what's wrong with it. There's not inherently anything wrong with that. The biggest issue with it that I, you know, what I focus on is the aspect that that's sort of what we're told, this is what a man is, and that's it. Right. Um, we're sort of given this one definition of masculinity. And what I strive for is, is coming up with uh, variations of masculinity and accepting that that's not what all men are into or that we shouldn't push all men to be into those things. You know, that that masculinity can be so much greater than that. Right. Um, so, you know, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that stuff. I, I'm a huge football fan. My, my Saturdays, Sundays, you know, Monday nights, Thursday nights, they're all dedicated to football, but I'm also much more than that. And that's what I would like, you know, sort of culturally to be more acceptable. Uh, and not only that, but then there's often a set of co-current behaviors that come along with that, right? And that's, there are a lot of troubling behaviors that, that men are sort of taught to exhibit, um, ways in which men are, uh, you know, again, culturally, this sort of cultural norm of masculinity taught to engage in behaviors that are self-harmful or harmful to other people. And so what I really try and do is, is question that and say, why is this considered part of masculinity? Um, why can't we expand this definition of masculinity? And I'm not trying to tell anybody, you need to be this way, you need to be that way, or this is wrong or that is wrong. But uh, other than, I, I mean, I, I take a, I have a strong stance on things like violence and that sort of thing being wrong in, in pretty much every circumstance. But sort of, norms of behavior, beliefs, things that we're into, you know, depictions of what it means to be a man. Let's expand that. Let's question what would it look like uh, if it were something different. Uh, let's let's make it okay to be more than just, you know, what we've grown up learning and and accept people who choose to display masculinity in a variety of different ways. I was at a healthcare internet conference just last week, and as one of the sessions, the presenter put a variety of corporate logos up on the screen and asked us, what does this logo make you think of? He put the Amazon logo up, and he got such remarks as speedy, or overnight, or books, or A to Z. And then he put the NFL logo up, and the first thing that he heard from the audience was domestic violence. Yeah. So that's a uh, rather unfortunate definition of masculinity and how that brand has been tarnished in the uh, somewhat recently. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, that's that's a pretty good example of what I talk about as well. I mean, you know, obviously because of 
what's in the media right now in terms of the amount of violence and that sort of thing. But, you know, not every NFL player is violent like that. There are a number of great men in the NFL, you know, guys who are just living their lives, who are, um, you know, good husbands, good fathers, all that kind of stuff. I and mean, we don't really hear about that. Right. And so there's a sort of image of, you know, the NFL is really held up as the ultimate, depiction of masculinity in our culture right now uh you could maybe make an argument that like mma is is possibly uh equal or even replacing that but really in terms of like traditional masculinity the nfl is is held up as the the greatest exhibitor of that and then what becomes problematic then is that Uh, obviously it's a it's a violent sport but then when we start hearing about all the behaviors the negative behaviors that some of the men are engaging in right again that's that co-current behavior stuff that i'm talking about uh, versus focusing on you know you can be a good man a caring father husband etc and um, you can be gay you can be all these different things and still be you know tough if that's what you want to be or live in a number of different ways all right, so football is one kind of game. Let's bring this discussion to video games, which is what Polygamer is about. In a recent episode of Polygamer, I spoke with Chris Barney about whether or not video games can influence or reinforce or change societal norms. Gamers love to insist that video game violence does not translate into real-world violence, and for the most part, there are multiple studies supporting that. But you cite such games as Grand Theft Auto and Binary Domain as providing negative examples of what it means to be a man, or if not negative, at least limited definitions of manhood so what are these kinds of messages that games are conveying about manhood and why do they matter yeah you know again it's a, that very limited range of of what it means to be a man it's very stereotypical you know especially when we start getting into to race but inter- interactions with women all kinds of stuff no i'm not arguing that these uh, demonstrations of of behavior in video games will lead men in the real world to act in these ways you know, I don't believe that video game violence leads to real world violence. However, we cannot say that all of these things do not have an effect to some degree because we're not talking about video games in a vacuum, right? Video games depict certain behaviors along with movies, along with music, along with TV shows, along with advertising, along with books, you know, on and on and on. And the the point is that it creates this sort of I I say all the time that it's the the air we all breathe, you know, it's like a soup we all eat or swim in or whatever it is, right? It's just this, all of these things contribute to create um, this sort of sense of cultural norms and reinforce norms and, or, you know, beliefs or whatever it is, um, positive, negative, often negative, um, often very limited, right? So, to pick one out and say this is a problem and the rest aren't is that that is totally incorrect. But let's look at the way that these things all work together and the sort of the the norms that they help to create. And that's why I talk about that stuff. Um, and as you you know, if you look at my blog, I don't just talk about video games. I'm talking about all these other aspects because I really do believe that they add up. You know, again, adding up not in a way that is saying go out and do this or in a way that is going to cause somebody to do it. But one of the biggest things, one of the biggest problems with uh, these sorts of norms is what it does is it actually more than creating violent people, it creates people who are numb to violence. Right. It puts us in situations where when we see certain things happening that we really should be saying, hey, that's not right. Instead, we say, well, you know, that's normal. That's the same type of thing that I see every day in all these other forms of media and among my friends or among my mentors or whatever it is, right? And so then we don't challenge it. So that's, to me, the biggest reason to to talk about these things is not because it's going to make us violent, but because it makes us ignore things that we should be saying something about, that we should be stopping, et cetera. I think that was one of your beefs with uh, Lollipop Chainsaw, which is how the various male characters in the game treat her, and they're just, you're a stereotypical high school student, but you question, why is that the stereotype, and is that the only kind of high school student there is, and is this how high school students are supposed to treat their female peers? 
Right, exactly. You know, so this sort of uh, the stereotype that all these young men are are um, gawking at this this young woman, and they're going to talk about masturbating to her, and you know what what a great tit she has, and all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, you know, and, uh, people have argued that that game is meant to be a parody. Um, and you know, perhaps it is, but it, to me, if it is, it sort of fails on that. It, it sort of more perpetuates than parodies that behavior to me. We get these constant reinforcements that this is how teenage boys act, right? And so then when we see that in the real world, we don't say, you know what? We can be more than that. And the reality is, is that we are more than that. You know, uh, not all teenage boys act like that and nor should they. Right. And so just saying, all right, look, you know, you don't have to talk to somebody. You shouldn't talk to somebody like that. And part of this is also getting people to understand why acting like the acting in those ways and talking in those ways is harmful to somebody, right? We, you know, you think you see it in a game. Oh, this guy's, you know, he's rescued by this young woman and he says, I'm going to masturbate to you. Ha ha funny. Right. But if we really uh, have a little bit of empathy and stop and think, well, how might somebody in the real world feel if they were told something like that? Right. Obviously it's a video game character. We can't, examine her 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 mental state or that any of those characters mental state but in the real world we can say we can sort of really think about why we should be challenging these behaviors what about other games like batman arkham city you have an example on your blog of how the thugs in that game speak to catwoman very derogatorily but some people would argue that if this was a real life scenario this is how real male thugs would you know, assault and approach a female antagonist. So can you have an adversarial relationship like that in a game and still have it be respectful and yet be realistic? I mean, if you take away that sort of language, is the game that much less believable? <laughs> you know, I argue that the game make, that that language makes the game even less believable, right? Because... Uh, first off, it's all you hear the same things over and over and over. So if you want to talk about believability, that gets broken right there. Right. Um, but then, yeah, it's 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 based on a stereotype of, you know, all the comments I get are, well, you know, they're they're thugs and they're rapists. And obviously they're going to talk to a woman like that. Right. What do you expect them to say here, my lady? You know, which I think is so annoying. Again, first off. There's a whole set of assumptions and um, based in some negative cultural uh, stereotyping that that exists in that they are, uh, you know, prisoners. So, of course, the first thing everybody jumps to is that they are thugs and rapists and murderers. Right. Um, you know, if we want to, again, talk about the real p prison population, we know the majority of people are in prison for drug-related offenses, nonviolent drug-related offenses. All right, but okay, maybe that's too real. All right, we'll step back from that reality and we'll say, in this video game world, why does that sort of language make people think that it's more realistic? It's, again, it, it relies on these stereotypes of what it means to be a criminal, Based on that, then, everybody assumes that that's the language that they would use and that they would use this language only towards women, right? Because they don't use that language towards Batman or Nightwing or any of the, um, you know, those are the two main character, male characters you're going to be fighting with. And yet, then people are going to argue about male men getting raped in prison, right? So wouldn't that language also be used towards men? Right. What's what's to say that that language is only applied towards women? If men are being raped in prison, that means men are being dehumanized, sexualized, etc. Um, by that that same population again, supposedly. So then it would make sense that that same language is being applied towards men, too. But we don't see that. So, again, and, you know, this is all ignoring the fact that we're talking about reality and a game about, you know, Batman who, you know, it, again, we can get into the, the lack of reality there and Catwoman in this world that is completely false to begin with. So there's a sort of like schizophrenia going on in terms of how we view reality in video games, right? And again, it just comes back to wanting to, to justify certain behaviors and certain language that is directed 
generally at female characters Right. And it's really just coming up with excuses for why that should be normal that are based on a whole set of cultural stereotypes. Let's talk a bit more about that relationship between men and women in the real world, not in Arkham City. There has been a lot of talk lately about gender equality and feminism stemming not only in the most recent discussion of of Gamergate, but even going back to Anita Sarkeesian and her Kickstarter of two years ago and well before that as well. And a lot of men seem to find this discussion threatening. Why is that? Well, I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly I'm not in these guys' heads, so I can't say 100% for sure. But based on what we see in general in terms of, uh, you know, when, when, when things are being challenged and historical context and all that kind of thing, there I would say that there are probably a couple standard things that are happening. One is that, we have, um, for, for some people, you know, things, life is sort of very black and white. And once you start challenging that, that really messes with somebody's worldview. And that's a threat to them. That's a threat to their view of the world. And they will fight very hard to maintain their current worldview, to see things in the way that they believe that they've been raised to believe or whatever it is that they should be. And so when you start challenging their belief system, they freak out. I think that's part of it. I think you also have guys who want to view gaming and gaming spaces as male only spaces. And so again, they're very there. It's like, uh, you know, country clubs that don't let women in or, you know, golf clubs that don't let black people in. It's sort of, this is our space and we don't want that to change. And the reality is, is that gaming has never been an all male space. And so all that's happening is that women are, are saying, are, are, you know, trying to say that and, and not just women, but people are saying, Hey, this is not some sort of all male space that you think it is. And so we need to be more accepting. It's not an all white space either. Right. But some people don't want to accept that they're, they're threatened by that. Also, you know, coming back to what I was saying about those those cultural norms and how they stop people from saying something, they also encourage there are all there's always going to be a subset of people who are in fact angry, right, at women or people of color or or whatever it is, right, who are in fact uh full of hate, who are in fact uh violent, you know, have have violent tendencies. Um and what happens is when this sort of behavior and conversation is happening, I think you have some of those people who jump onto that because they say, hey, here's an environment where I can act in these ways that I want to act where nobody's going to challenge me. You know, so similar to when, you know, we saw this recently when the uh, San Francisco Giants won the World Series, right? And talking baseball uh, and in the post in the celebrations afterwards, you had people vandalizing and getting in fights and committing all these acts of violence. I would argue that a number of those people are not actually baseball fans. They're just people who saw an opportunity to act in certain ways because nobody was going to challenge that, obviously, except for the police, right? And so I think we see something similar happening here as well. You have your misogynists, your angry men who are jumping in, who look for any opportunity to dehumanize and belittle women and exhibit their misogynist behavior unquestioned. And they're saying, oh, here's this thing that's happening where I can act like this and nobody's going to challenge me. And it's made even worse by the fact that it's on the Internet, so it's totally anonymous. Right. So this is also, again, why we talk about we need to challenge these behaviors when they happen, because, no, not every gamer gator is going to be the type of person who's sending death and rape threats. But when your movement uses the type of language and engages the type of behavior that allows for that, then that subset of people who do act in those ways are going to feel right at home. It just seems so strange to me how imbalanced the interactions are between men and women. For example, NFL player Chris Clue made fun of Gamer Gators and nobody attacked him, but Brianna Wu does the same thing and she gets doxxed. Or, for example, when there was a recent school shooting and several people outlined how this is just another example of what you call toxic masculinity and how so many school shootings are perpetuated by young men and not young women, 
based on who was making that observation, the response can be dramatically different. When Anita Sarkeesian said the same thing on Twitter, you know, so many people were in an uproar over that, and yet you outlined it very logically on your blog and received none of the hate that she receives, or so it seems. Why is there such a dramatic difference when a statement comes from a woman instead of a man? You know, I think the reason that this happens is, again, they're already a targeted group. Women are already a targeted group by this movement, right? And so they are easy to attack in that sense because, you know, no no violent behavior towards a person or a group of people exists without some dehumanization having already occurred, right? As a group, women are often dehumanized in society, sexualized, that sort of thing. And so then it becomes easy to engage in harmful behavior towards them, right? And so in this movement, we see that playing out. And men don't get challenged because, you you know, men are sort of seen as peers or equals, or you may disagree with them, but this this is still a man versus, well, here's this woman who's a you know, a a dumb slut who shouldn't be speaking, who shouldn't be saying these things, who's challenging um, my reality and my world and my beliefs um, and threatening in that sense. So it's really not that hard for me to threaten that person because I don't see them as an equal. I don't see them as a full person in that sense. And again, my argument isn't that the existence of this movement or this language or these cultural stereotypes means that everybody's going to engage in it. But again, what happens is that then when people act like that, you have others who say, you know what, it's not that big a deal, right? Or I'm not going to get involved because why would I risk myself for this, you know, person who I don't really see as a full person, right? I think that's a big part of what we see happening. And of course, then when you have people like Anita Sarkeesian or um, Brianna Wu or anybody else who's, who's very vocal in talking about this, then they become a focus, right? They become an easy focus for that sort of energy. And then those people who, who are inclined to that sort of behavior, they just come out of the woodwork and they, they run free. Yeah, those two women, as well as many others, have been the focus, as you say, of Gamergate in the past few months. And on your blog, you recently referred to Gamergaters as an obvious example of toxic masculinity. What do you mean by toxic masculinity, and how does that apply to Gamergate? The aspect of toxic masculinity is, again, coming back to the ways in which men are often taught to respond to things with violence or aggression. Right. Rather than communicate and, you know, let's talk things out or let's have some empathy for someone else's point of view. And so, you know, this is what I talk about when men engage in behaviors that that hurt other people. And again, sometimes ourselves as well, is that when we, you know, when threatened, oftentimes men are taught to respond violently. Right. And so whether that's a real world threat or we see something happening uh, we res- we and we get angry. We respond instantly with with violence and aggression, right? And so this is where, again, this is why I talk about toxic masculinity because masculinity itself is does not have to involve those sorts of behaviors. But men are taught this is how a real man responds to a threat, right? This is how a real man responds when he sees something he doesn't like, and if we could. We, that's the stuff that needs to be challenged and questioned and say, well, you know, why does it have to be that? Why can't we have some empathy for the fact that somebody else's experience is different than ours? Really consider what that means and respond in that way versus instantly, what are you talking about? This is bullshit. You know, I'm going to freak out and threaten and do all these these harmful things, Right. The connection to events like a school shooting is, you know, again, I'm not, de- I'm not saying that these people are uh, someone who would go out and commit a, um, a mass murder type scenario, but it's a, it's a lesser version of that sort of same response. I've been hurt, and so I need to hurt others because I have no other way of processing this, and this is what I've been told. This is how a man exhibits his masculinity. 
It sounds like from your blog that you recently met a potential gamer gator in real life, and it was in a situation that caught you a little bit off guard. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, you know, I think, uh, and I, I wrote about this in my blog, but obviously for me, there were some levels of stereotypes uh, that contributed to that, right? Sort of assuming that no women actually believe this stuff. You know, it's always surprising when here I am and I'm presenting and I'm showing examples of, uh, you know, these violent threats that Anita Sarkeesian had received and somebody just instantly shuts that down and just says, you know, they're faking it, you know, which is really, it's just a denial of someone else's reality in order to maintain uh, that, you know, that person's view of how things should be or how things are right it's a, it's it's really based in a, a lack of empathy and so to me you know you know there's that question that we're we're always we're raised to to challenge things and to question things and be skeptical of things and my question is always okay you know you can be skeptical and you can you know question things but if somebody tells you that they have experienced this sort of level of violence or these negative interactions, what does it really hurt to just say, okay, I believe you. I believe that that has happened to you. You can still be skeptical of their worldview or the points that they're making while also saying, you know, I'm sorry that that, that you received that threat or that amount of violence. Right. And so to, to have that happen in the class there, you know, in the real world, not on the, the world of the internet, where it just becomes, it can really feel like, you know, just some sort of uh, almost robotic thing. Like you can, it's easy to forget that there's a person on the other end who's acting in these ways. So when I saw that happening in, in the real world, I was definitely taken aback by it, you know, and I wish I had more time to, to really talk to this person. Like, why is it that you can't accept that somebody has actually faced these threats and how negatively impacted their life has been, uh, you know, because to me, those were two separate points. There was the, you know, her, her approach towards games or her, her depiction of games is unfair and unbalanced, you know, which I disagree with, but Hey, that's a viewpoint that, that can be debated if you want. But to say that somebody is making up threats, which are easily verifiable, you know, on the Internet, um, you can find the police reports. Uh, you know, she actually did leave her home because of these threats. Like to deny that is just a, a complete lack of empathy and something that I always have a hard time with in when I encounter anyways. What surprises me about people who deny that reality is that it flies in the face of Occam's razor. They think it's easier to believe in this sort of conspiracy theory than it is that somebody received a death threat. Yeah, and again, it's because of, you know, the, that when these things threaten somebody's worldview, and it's amazing the the leaps that people will go through to preserve their uh, beliefs or their worldviews um, when they're challenged, right? And as you said, you know, because I always find it funny... Uh, when people engage in these debates online or even in person, you know, people start bringing out, you know, logic and, you know, well, that's the fallacy of this and you're, you know, doing this and that without ever examining the fact that they're doing everything that they can to preserve their worldview rather than just considering, you know, somebody else's point of view, somebody else's opinion. You don't have to agree, but when you just instantly start shutting stuff down, um, then yeah, you're you're really just fighting hard. It's a totally emotional reaction, but men don't have emotions in that way. You know, our our prime emotions are are anger, and we respond in that way versus really you know realizing, hey, you know what? We're we're very much we're people who have a full range of emotional responses. So let's just be aware of that. And think about what is it that's really going on with you that leads you to believe this and to feel threatened versus just sort of assuming, oh, that person's lying. They're full of shit. I'm going to question everything about them. And you don't need to spend much time on Twitter to find the sort of hate and threats that people like Brianna and Anita receive. 
some of the ways I've been told that this needs to be addressed is that these women just need to grow a thicker skin, that this is just internet trolls who are getting their jollies, and if you ignore them, they just go away, and they don't mean anything by it because it's just online fun, and this is the way gamers talk to each other, is they, you know, it's smack talk. So what would you say to that sort of response? I would say that it's easy to say that when you're not the one being confronted with that sort of behavior, right? I mean, again, that's another way that people are shutting down empathy, right? And they're just saying, well, that's not my experience. Um, so this person is just being hypersensitive, right? That's what's so frustrating about it is, is wanting to deny particularly women's experience. Uh, you know, men, straight, White men, often, most often, who haven't dealt with these things, lacking in empathy and just not allowing their minds to go there and allowing themselves to understand what this might feel like. Because that's all it takes is just a little bit of consideration to what it might it feel like if every minute of the day I'm receiving this sort of, you know, th these sorts of threats with this sort of language and this sort of uh, dehumanizing behavior directed at me, right? You know, you don't have to have actually experienced it to really just sit down for a second and consider what that might feel like. And then, of course, part of why people don't do that is because then it become it begs the question, well, what should I do about that then, right? Shutting something down, ignoring it, allows you to stay safe in your own little bubble, and never engage in any behavior that, that puts you at risk of being threatened and harmed because you're helping someone else out, right? Yeah, it's easy to say to grow a thicker skin, and I'd like to think that if people started tweeting mean things at me, that I would just blow it off. I've been on the internet for you know 20 years since I was a sit-up on CompuServe. I'm accustomed to this. But at the same time, I've read over 15,000 of my own YouTube comments that people have left on my videos in the last two years, and there are some that really get to me, and I still remember months later, I'm like, ah, oh, that really bugged me. And if these were, you know, intentionally, consciously being cruel and aggressive and threatening, reality is that no matter how much I would like to think I have a thicker skin, that would probably shake me, just like it has Brianna and, and Zoe and Anita. Yeah, exactly. You know, there is no amount of thick skin that can protect you from feeling that. Um, and, you know, feeling threat, you know, and it's funny, too, when people uh, minimize threats that somebody receives, you know, if somebody calls in a bomb threat or, you know, some sort of terrorist type threat. We've learned as a society, take threats seriously. Right. And because of, you know, major events, major terrorist events like 9-11. Right. And so it makes complete sense and it's completely logical and it is the right thing to do to take an, a threat, even if it's over Twitter, you know, some sort of internet comment threat seriously, because you never know if a person, whether it's the person who actually made that threat or not is going to actually fall through on those things. And so, uh, you know, again, it's just to deny that and to question that is to shut down empathy. It basically, you're supporting that behavior by not allowing somebody to vocalize that this is what's happening to me and this is and it needs to stop. I've heard people say that Brianna and Anita are wasting the police's time by having them investigate threats that were probably never intended to be made real. But it's not the victims who are wasting the police's time, it's the people making those threats because the the potential victims can't afford to dismiss any one threat because one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand may prove true and they can't take that chance. Yeah, exactly. You know, which is why I think it's the greatest thing that, um, Brianna has now, uh, put out this, uh, you know, you get a reward for, for helping capture the people who are threatening her, you know, because I, I think, it's great that that is happening, although I am saddened by the fact that it is Brianna herself who has to do it, you know, and I've actually uh, really been thinking about it. it'd be great if we could find some way because it is women who are being attacked like this. It would be great if we could find some way for men who are not these types of men to rally around the women who are facing these attacks in a more substantial way than showing support online. Like, is there some way that we could engage or start some sort of 
group or movement or whatever that would uh, be supportive in very substantial ways. And I think had someone else said, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to to help put out this reward to get these people captured so that Brianna didn't have to do it herself. You know, I think that would have been a, a great example of what I, I'm hoping can happen. Right. Uh, and the reality is, is that's people need to see repercussions for their behavior. And that's partly why the Internet can often become such a cesspool of this type of behaviors, because there's no real consequence for it. Right. Uh, and so we, we, when consequences happen, and I, I don't, when I say consequences, I don't necessarily mean laws or jailing people or whatever, but, you know, there needs to be, people need to understand, people need to challenge each other. You know, these guys, friends who know who these people are, who are doing these things, need to be saying something to them, right? Um, and when they don't, they don't have any consequences, and they continue to, to do it. So I really do hope that they catch somebody, right? Because that will show that there is a consequence for this behavior. And it'll probably be some 14-year-old kid, you know, <laughs> um, which is what's so sad about it. But yeah, I really hope that that it works. You talk about a potential rallying point for men, and it's not quite as punitive as what Brianna is proposing, but I've, in the last six months, become aware of two organizations, one called It's On Us, and the other that... Emma Watson presented to the UN called He for She. Do you, are either of these organizations taking steps in those directions that you propose? Yeah, so, you know, these campaigns and the, this type of work is really about trying to engage men in uh, addressing issues that women are talking about and often feeling unsupported by men in addressing. Right? And uh, they're great campaigns. Um, the downside in terms of this this conversation is that they're not focused on gaming per se, right? So it'd be great if we had some sort of gaming world, uh, you know, campaign or effort that's focused specifically on the types of things that we're seeing in gaming, you know, uh, it's on us could very much be applied to this world as well, but I think there would be real power in something originating out of the gamer movement, the, the um, you know, the gamer environment, the gamer culture that saying, you know, this is how we're going to defend gamer culture, not by threatening other gamers who are women, but rather by standing next to and supporting and finding ways to expel those who are behaving in these ways. As I mentioned, you, Brianna, and I were all on a panel together at PAX East. The video of that panel has been on YouTube since this past April, and it's garnered quite a few comments. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to address two of the more common criticisms that I get on that channel. I certainly don't mean to necessarily give these critics a wider platform, but I, you know, since these are questions that I get over and over, I would like to be able to just say, hey, Dwayne said this, and that's the answer <laughs> yeah. that make my life a lot easier. So one of the comments I get is that, you know, I, I don't even remember that our panel talking all that much about rape so much as it was about the representation of women in gaming, but very often the comments I get on my channel are that it's sort of a red herring to be talking about women getting raped at all because men get raped just as much and even more so when you take into account the prison population. So why are we focusing on this specific gender, this specific demographic so much when it's an issue that affects both of us? When it comes to the, the issue of rape and addressing rape, uh, it's true that both men and women do get raped and I think we do need to do a better job of talking about that. And I always find it funny when people bring up prison rape as, like, men get raped too. Look at prison, right? Men are getting raped in the real world. And the reality is, is men are being raped in the real world by other men, right? And so, again, this comes back to looking at the ways in which men are, are taught to use violence and then that sexual connection between that, the, the way that violence becomes sexualized. We do need to be talking about that. But... To say, well, why are you focused exclusively on the experience of women is, again, it's just another shutdown tactic, right? Um, and these people aren't bringing up men being raped because they're actually concerned about that. Uh, they're bringing it up because it's a way of trying to say, well, you know, it, it's just shutting down the conversation that does need to occur. When rape is being talked about in this context, it's being talked about because of the depictions 
of the ways in which women are being sexualized and the connection again between the, that sexualization and the violence the violent acts that are committed against them right so again going back to that uh, Arkham Asylum clip um or you know that that game Catwoman is being sexualized at the same time that uh there's you know she's fighting these other men right and the sexualization is things like you know nice suit take it off you know that kind of thing so it's a there's a strong connection between the violence and the sexualization that we see happening and so that is something that needs to be talked about because this very much affects women and men are not being sexualized in the same way right and anytime somebody brings that up they'll bring up a character like you know oh you know so and so this character has their shirt off and they're always running around in you know superman in his tight clothes and you can see all his muscles not being sexualized right certainly not in the same way that a character uh you know is like wonder woman is being sexualized or uh you know where breasts are hanging out and um you know you can see butt and all that kind of stuff right um, and so it's important, again, to talk about that connection between sexualization, which is a form of dehumanizing somebody. You're, they're no longer a person or a character. They are this sexual object. And with that objectification comes all sorts of harmful behavior, right? And one more thing on the prison rape thing, you know, statistically, men get raped in prison at the rate that women get raped in everyday world right so about one in four men report being raped in prison and what we see in everyday life is one in four women uh dealing with attempted or completed rape right so you know that i think that's an that's an interesting fact that really points to um just how prevalent rape is for women in the real world and men spend all of this time fearing prison rape and you know that when we talk about rape we're talking about rape in that context yet the number is the exact same as what women are dealing with every day in our society right so yes we do need to be talking about men being raped but let's talk about what's really happening men are being raped by men mostly and the rates are lower than what we see happening with women you mentioned a bit about how men are portrayed in games with their shirts off or running around muscle bound and some critics on YouTube have pointed to that as an example of how men are sexualized just as much as women are. They're very unrealistic body types and body physiques, setting a standard for men much like Barbie does for women that's unrealistic and unattainable. But I've also seen other critics turn around and say, no, that's not true. That isn't men being sexualized. That's men being created as part of a power fantasy. So those men are being presented as, a, as an ideal for men, just like how the women in games are presented as an ideal for men both genders are being created for men and there's really nothing being created for women is is there any accuracy or truth to either of those perspectives yeah i, I think there is um and and here's the thing is that we do need to be examining depictions of and which is is what i try and do but we do need to be examining depictions of men in gaming and in media and that sort of thing because it does have an impact on men as well right we're seeing a rise in eating disorders among men and steroid use in you know young men teenagers uh, in particular and it's there's very much a connection between that and the types of uh ways men are depicted in the media and, and we're seeing more you know sort of like the muscle bound man thing you know depictions of that have you know historically what would happen was women in tv shows or movies or you know anything else would be you would see a certain body type and that was upheld as the ultimate way that a woman should look. Meanwhile, you'd have all kinds of schlubby men or men, you know, just looking average every day. Those would be, you know, famous actors and famous characters, et cetera, et cetera. And so men felt less pressure on how they should look physically, but that's changed, right? We're seeing six packs and big chests and big muscles being depicted a lot more and being shown off a lot more. And so there is a connection between that and the rise in eating disorders and steroid use among men. So yes, we do need to be talking about that, right? But let's also not lie to ourselves, right? Because there isn't 
sexualization happening in the same way. There isn't that connection between sexualizing the male body and then assault being committed against that male body. Uh, there is more of a connection to power fantasies, as you're saying, right? Because these men, while they're depicted as having these types of bodies and that sort of thing, they're also the stars of the game or the hero or the main character. They have more um, character development, more dialogue, more, you know, all these types of things that they are not being sexualized and dehumanized and minimized in the same way that women are that female characters are and the repercussions are very different right so men yes we are dealing with more body image issues as a result but we're not dealing with the same levels of violence and minimization that women deal with because of it well it sounds almost in a way discouraging and you know so much of what we've talked about today are the problems that are facing this industry and this community and this culture and I'm glad that we have advocates and activists such as yourself working toward it and podcasts like this that I hope are helping get the word out. Do you see any other signs of you know this industry and this community moving in the right direction? Are there, you know, especially in the last few months, it seems like things have been getting worse. Are there any signs that things are get, uh, going to be getting better? You know, I'd actually I'd argue that um, there are signs that things are getting better in general. You know, to me, this whole Gamergate thing is... Uh, intense backlash and backlash happens when there's progress going on right um it's those people who are threatened who are fearful of what the future looks like they're responding aggressively violently um and all these types of things but they are a small subset right what we see happening is now there are all these comments being made by game developers there's articles being written that are denouncing gamergate there's memes now that are making fun of gamergate so they sort of exploded on the scene really seemed like oh man it's it's over for for gaming and this is what it's become but again in my mind they were a vocal minority that got a lot of attention but now people have started reclaiming the gaming space and saying this is they do not represent us um, and this is our way forward. They will eventually die down and go back to whatever hole they came from. Right? Meanwhile, as a culture, we're going to continue advancing. And you know, people like Anita Sarkeesian are going to help that advancement. Are going to you know, in large part, create that. Brianna Wu. Um, you know, there's there's all this talk and attention being paid to how can we make gaming more of a welcoming space. And the only thing that that Gamergate backlash did uh, in reality was hasten that discussion, right? Was lead more people to say, hey, this is a conversation we need to have, so let's have it. They had their 15 minutes and, you know, they're still out there, right? And there's, and I also don't mean to say that they are not a threat that should be taken serious. They are. But if you're talking about what I see going forward, I see them sort of fading away. Um, or, or being, I shouldn't say fading, being pushed out of the way by those who are saying, we're not going to stand for this. And I, I am starting to see that happening already. It is true that Gamergate has, in a way, painted gaming culture in a negative light in a very public way because this is getting so much press. But at the same time, the issues of gender inequality have existed in gaming for many years now. And it's helped bring that issue to light as well with front page stories in the New York Post and the Huffington Post and responses from companies like Adobe and Blizzard. So I hadn't really thought of it the way you're putting it, but that's true that the issues are getting attention as well, not just the Gamergate movement, but the issues of gender inequality. You're right that we're, we're starting to hasten, I hope, the awareness that something does need to change and with it, the rate at which that change is happening. You know, one thing that Zoe Quinn said that I really admire, and I don't mean to paint her as a saint, but she has in no way deserved any of the negative attention that and treatment that she's received in the last few months. And I so do admire her for putting up with it and still being there. And she once tweeted, if there's one thing I've learned from video games, it's that when you encounter enemies, you're going the right way. Hmm. And we've certainly seen a lot of that in the past few months. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, these they're they're responding to a threat against you know their their view on things, and so yeah, that is very much a sign that uh, we're heading in the right direction. I very much agree with Zoe Quinn on that. So it's difficult, you know, it's difficult certainly, and uh, sadly. Some people are, are, you know, facing these threats, and, and uh, I hope we can find some way to deal with that. Um, but, yeah, the progress is happening, and it's going to continue to happen, regardless of what those and Gamer Gators and others uh, want. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that you are there to help us advance that discussion. Remind our listeners where we can find you online. You can follow my blog, How Manly, at howmanly.com. Uh, you can also learn more about me personally and the work that I do at uh, my personal website, DwayneDefore.com. And, of course, I'm also on Twitter, at TriniD4. Yeah, and that's, those are the major ways you can find me online. And how do you spell that, TriniD4? Uh, T-R-I-N-I-D and the number four. Excellent. Well, Dwayne, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you speaking to the Polygamer podcast, and we hope that we... We'll continue this conversation in other media, at other conventions, and on other podcasts. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.